This is Steve Cochran, and this is Live from My Office. You know, when I was a little kid, there was a show on TV called Laugh-It. And when I was a little kid, I knew it was funny, but I didn't really know why it was funny. But it was always funny to me because there were some famous faces who were popping out of windows on a house. And it was really like ADDTV long before its time. A lot of people said maybe the first reality show. But a man named George Schlatter invented it. And George Schlatter's got a book out. He's 93, 4, 5 now. Sorry, George, but I know you're not offended. And he has such unbelievable show business stories to tell. And included in our discussion, which you'll hear in a moment, George Slatter will explain how he got then-candidate Richard Nixon running for president, the former vice president, and the guy that lost to Kennedy, even though he may have won. That guy, he got Richard Nixon to be funny and maybe even helped him get elected. Not so sure he was thrilled about that. But an amazing story from George Schlatter. It's all laid out in his new book. We talk about the book as well and uh, talk about the people that he's known and, and, and been around in his entire life. I, you know, after, long after laughing was done, he started Real People. Remember the Real People show? If you're old enough to remember that, there was an 18-year-old kid on that show named Byron Allen who was now one of the richest people in show business. Big shot producer and stuff. All right. So at any rate, you'll uh, hear us talk to George Slatter. And before we're done, I'm concerned Donald Trump might even be calling. But amongst the people, George Slatter can tell stories about and careers he started. He got Lily Tomlin started. Goldie Hawn, who, by the way, he said one of the smartest people he's ever worked with. Sonny and Cher were legitimate stars, but they loved being on. They became regulars. Artie Johnson, Joanne Worley. Judy Karn, who was this beautiful woman, a dancer, who knew she was funny. Ali was funny on the show. He had Sammy Davis Jr., Flip Wilson. He started the whole Tiny Tim thing. Tiny Tim would eventually get married on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. But, I mean, you know, George Slatter, going back to the beginning, when he came in with, uh, the, with, a, with an agency in Hollywood, he met Frank Sinatra. He wasn't afraid of talking to anybody. He got, got to be friends with Frank. They stayed friends for life, and he spoke at his funeral. I mean, he's got stories about Cary Grant in the book and Milton Berle and Judy Garland, Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams, Dinah Shore, Danny Thomas. This old Hollywood stuff, it's all pretty cool. And it's George Slatter who we'll get to in just a second. This episode of Live from My Office, sponsored by the Rouse Center. The Rouse Center for Performing Arts at rousecenter.org. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us an email anytime about anything at thecochranshow at gmail.com. And don't forget, I'm on the radio, back on the radio now for over a year. What have you been listening to? Every morning from 5.30 to 9, Central Time in Chicago. Chicago Time on the legendary Big 89 WLS. That's every morning. You can listen on your smart devices. And I mean your really smart devices. You can also stream it. And, uh, and well, I look forward to hearing it. So the radio show every day, the podcast every week. Ah, you just can't get enough of me. And I appreciate you listening. I'm glad you're here. As I mentioned, brought to you by the Rouse Center. Um, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we jump into a piece of the George Slatter interview right now? Enjoy this, and we'll come back and, as previously threatened, Trump is likely to call before we're done. Uh, what about Art Carney? <laughs> well, Art Carney was the greatest straight man in the world, you know, and, and uh, he moved funny. He thought funny. See, all of those people you're talking about were people who understood comedy and understood that laughter is the best feeling you can have, you know? Uh, uh, 
and and uh, they were people who enjoyed enjoyed the process and enjoyed the sound. You get a big laugh, and it's the best feeling in the world. And Art Carney was there, one of them, and uh, Jackie Gleason and uh, Milton Berle, and Jack Benny was another one. He was so quiet, you know, and uh, uh, but he he. He, he, and he was slow. So when he came on laughing, we said, keep it moving, Mr. Benny, keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. And he was stunned by this whole atmosphere of tumult that surrounds him. He did one of our funniest shows, one of our best shows uh, with Jack Benny. Well, I remember it. He I, did I, not understand the process. No, I, I, I totally remember it. And the amazing thing about Jack Benny is the courage of the pause to be able to stop and stare at the audience. Uh, that's right. Uh, incredible. Yep, yeah, he was. And then, when he was standing there with a copy of Life magazine underneath his arm, and then a guy, bandit, came up to him with a gun and he says, "Mr. Benny, give us your 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 life or your uh, what the hell was it? Your life or your mag your your magazine or something?" <laughs> and he's thinking, "I'm thinking," because he didn't know to give him the magazine or, or his real life. Yeah, right, right. He was <laughs> what a delightful. Man. He he couldn't give it up. Now you worked with Jonathan Winters who had a special kind of brain that I don't think many people have seen. Jonathan Winters and his, his offspring, Robin Williams. I mean, there's two guys that were just, they, they, they're like both you. Of them. I uh, did both of their first show. Jonathan Winters, uh, I, I sold a show with Jonathan Winters, and uh, uh, there was a strike, and uh, we didn't have any rehearsals. So they came in the day of the taping, and uh, there, was this, there was no script. There was nothing. So we had Art Carney and Jonathan Winters, and I said, here, I brought in every prop in the building, and I put them on tables, and I said, here, you guys just play around until I figure a show out. So the two of them stood there with props and did an hour and a half of just prop jokes. We put that on the air. The network looked at this and said, this isn't a show. And I said, yeah, it's a show. They said, it doesn't make any sense. I said, right. Right, right. (laughs) And and, uh, they put it on the air reluctantly because they had nothing else. A lot of my success has been built on, on accident. You know, when we see an accident, enjoy it because you're only a 10 minutes away from comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in the cast you had on the show, you mentioned them, this cast of unknown, unknowns who became American household names were just amazing. Well, but Lily Tomlin, well, Robin Williams, Robin Williams. Oh, you were going to tell me the Robin Williams story. Yeah. What was that? Well, Robin was, I was in San Francisco and Robin was on the street barefoot, coveralls with a straw hat, and he had a fish pole and he hanging a fish pole out over the audience and he says, I'm fishing for assholes. <laughs> well, I saw this and I went crazy. Was so, but Robin was probably the most well-educated, brilliant, uh, improvisational personality ever. And uh, so I put him on and when we would tape or stop tape for five minutes, I would send Robin out to just play. And uh, Sinatra's reaction when he saw Robin Williams, Sinatra was absolutely convulsed over Robin. Robin was perhaps the most versatile, well-educated, articulate, intelligent, hysterically funny personality I ever met. Yeah, and and, in the range of work that he did in his life, well, you know, we all just miss him. Um, but Robin needed that window. Robin needed a place. Well, there was no show designed to contain the talents of Robin Williams. Well, I designed a show to contain the talent by just having him go out on stage and play. And uh, 
some of the outtakes of Robin Williams are as funny as anything in existence. We can only use so much of it, you know, but God, what a treat he was. Well, Robin, Jonathan. Yeah, and that's the thing. You are as unique as those guys because nobody in Hollywood had the confidence to just say, no, I, I, I know I'm right. Something good's going to happen. Get out of the way and let it happen. Well, I didn't know I was right, but they didn't know that I didn't know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember and the censors, of course, I had, my adventures with the censors were hysterical uh, because they eventually wound up with two censors assigned to just me. And they would come down and watch us 10 minutes. And by the time they say, you can't say this, we'd said something else we couldn't say. And uh, uh, the my battles with the censors uh, should be a separate book. That's the, the thing. With, but the thing with my book was my enjoyment of the problem, my enjoyment yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. and and to to appreciate and enjoy and seek those moments of, of disaster and realize you're only just an inch away from being funny. And uh, that's what uh, that's what wound up in the book, uh, a series of. Of accidents, incidents, mistakes, and, and vignettes almost like. And uh, uh, so I put all of that, and uh, uh, they said, this is not a book book. I said, no, it's not. It's not a biography. It's just a series of funny, funny moments. And uh, so they, they, I went to this publisher, and they said, okay, we'll do that. I said, good, you're the only one. So we sent them the book and uh, they published it and they're very, they're very thrilled. Very, very happy with the reaction to it because it's not like any other book in existence. Yeah, well, that's exactly right because it's not like any other guy. Um, oh, and you know what? I apologize, George. I haven't had a chance to plug it yet. Let me do it now. What a loser I am. What? Still laughing. A life in comedy. Have you, got, have you gotten it yet? My guess is you should have gone out while you were listening to this, put the earbuds in. And uh, picked up your copy or your two or your three. All right. I, I got to ask you about Goldie Hawn. I love, love, loved Goldie Hawn. And you make a point that she may have been the smartest person on the show. Absolutely. Uh, Carolyn, she was a dancer. And Carolyn Raskin said, you got to see this girl. So Goldie came up for an, a meeting. And she said, well, I don't do comedy. I'm a dancer. I said, that'll be fine. So we gave her an introduction of Dan Rowan, which she screwed up so bad. Uh, and then, we, so we would then deliberately confused Goldie. And when she got mixed up, she would, she would laugh and that laugh was worth a million dollars. So we never let Goldie rehearse and we did, and we never showed her what she was going to do in advance. And she probably is one of the most intelligent people, not just personalities, but people I've ever met. And also one of the most delightful, what a, what a thrill that was to find Goldie on a dancer that came on stage and, and introduce Dan Rowan. That was her big thing. And they would invert the word, so there's no way for her to get it right. And uh, then we would do anything we could to distract her. Uh, I love that woman. I love those people. It was a collection of love people. You know, Goldie sure. and Lily and Ruth and Joanne and Artie Johnson. And, ben, and uh, those people didn't have a place in television. There was no other vehicle that could use those people because they were a multi-talented young character people. And we were fortunate to have known all of those people and then to have been in a situation where the network was in such a panic over nothing to put on Monday night. They bought that show out of desperation. And uh, how lucky we were, huh? Oh, and just amazing stories in the book on Lily Tomlin and Artie Johnson and Joanne Worley and Judy Karn, who had just great comedic timing. Who knew? 
Sammy Davis, Junior yep. Flip Wilson, Wacky Tiny Tim. Um, but you did you, read the book, didn't you? You uh, saw it on you. I know my stuff, my friend. Uh, but two it political stories, two political stories, and I promise I'll let you go. Ronald Reagan working with chimps. What? Well, I was booking shows in Vegas, and uh, Lou Wasserman called me and said, I want you to book Ronald Reagan. I said, Mr. Wasserman, he doesn't do anything. He wasn't governor yet or anything. And he said, he said, that's not my problem. I want you to book him. So I remember he'd done a movie called Bedtime for Bonzo, in which he worked with a chimp. Well, I put the Ronald Reagan with this group of actors, and uh, that wasn't going to work. So for an opening act, I booked this uh, ch- chimpanzee's family, the Marquean family. And uh, so they came out. They came out. And what happened was we had to cut some time because the show ran too long. And I uh, couldn't, Ronald Reagan wouldn't cut, and the chimps couldn't cut. So I had them do the first 10 minutes of their act in the hallway and then go out on stage. So that was the way I cut the show. Again, accident, right? So they got out, and we, one night we had to hold the show after we'd already started the chimps working in the hallway. And when it came time for them to go on, we opened the door, and these five gorillas, baby, you know, chimpanzees, got loose in the Frontier Hotel, and they were in the tables, they were in the lights, they were on stage, and it was pandemonium. And uh, uh, the owner said, tell them to just do that. I said, you don't understand. That was not a show. That was an accident. There were five gorillas loose in the saloon. And so anyway, uh, they decided that's what they wanted them to do, so I had to tell Ronald Reagan to cut time out of his act, for which he never really for- he never forgave me for cutting his act or for putting him on stage with five gorillas. But it worked, and we wound up. I wound up very good friends with Nancy, but Ronald was never too friendly after the chimpanzee adventure. I'll lighten <laughs> up, Ronnie, and of course, the legend of "Suck It to Me" with Richard Nixon. How did you get maybe the least funny guy to ever sit in the Oval Office? Forget about all the other things. Well, How'd you get him to do it? Uh, Paul Keyes was uh, his closest friend in the whole world, and. Uh, we, the show was big after the first year. We needed something to open the second year. And I said, uh, Paul Case says, listen, maybe I can get Nixon. I said, get him for me, too. I, I was never a big Nixon fan. But so we went. He was taping a press conference. And we went in and we said, Mr. Nixon, would you just say, sock it to me? Yes, I said, comedy's new to me. You know, just look at the camera and say, sock it, All right, sock it to me. We have five takes to get him to, look at, to say, sock it to me. And we put that on the next show. And the world exploded because no presidential candidate had ever done anything like that. And uh, that kicked off that second year and developed a relationship with the least funny man in the world. Was right. And uh, it went on and everybody thought he was funny. We didn't realize how unfunny he really was, you know, but it worked. And I had a good time with him, and which you, was not easy. And you want to talk about viral Vi- I mean, viral then, if there were, if there was such a thing as viral then, it would have been the biggest thing ever. Well, people would tune in Monday night at 8 o'clock, and they realized they were looking at an accident. They were looking at something without form, without shape, without logic. It was just a barrage of gorgeous people, funny situations, bright colors. Everything today is dark. Laughing was a barrage of funny colors, funny people, trap, trap doors or windows opening and closing. So you looked at something you were aware was a, truly an accident, truly a, a happening. 
and there was nothing on the air like it. Everything was very straight at that time. And along came this barrage of funny people and funny situations, and it just exploded. It was very gratifying. It was wonderful. <laughs> uh, it was uh, a great part of my growing up, and I thank you for it. I thank you for the book, too. Uh, it's an honor to talk yeah, to please. you. I mean, it really is an honor to talk to you, and I know the people on WLS. The I don't know about an honor, but at least it's fun. <laughs> but thank you for your uh, thank you for reading the book. That, that's uh, yes, a real. Yes, sir. It would have it no other way. And congratulations on the honor, the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York. Make that part of your uh, vacation schedule if you can this year, next year, whenever. Anyway, George Slatter, continued good health, and I hope to see you in Chicago or L.A. Hey, please. Nice talking to you. I love Chicago. Right. Anyway, we'll get back there. All right, be well. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Well, thank you. The great George Slatter. Get the book, and we're back with more in a moment after this from the Rouse Center. Uh, you're listening to Live From My Office. This is sponsored by the Rouse Center for the Performing Arts. One of my favorite places to perform myself. Many of you know the majority of our New Year's Eve shows have been at the Rouse Center. We will be back. Uh, the Rouse Center is a fabulous place, and I highly recommend you go to rousecenter.org. R-A-U-E-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. The staff is fabulous. The theater is immaculate. The acoustics are great. And we just love performing there. Whether it's Lucy's comedy, where you're live on stage with the comedian, sitting in comfortable bleachers while they perform. They essentially turn the theater around. It's a fun night. Or all the great music events that are coming up. They also have their school, if you will, a performing arts school. All this is on the website. You go there and check it out. This is just an opportunity for me to say thank you to the Rouse Center and thank you to you for supporting us whenever we're there. Go to rousecenter.org. Even if you're nowhere near Crystal Lake, Illinois, do yourself a favor and enjoy a night out or all the other things they offer. Rousecenter.org. R-A-U-E-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. I'm not young, feeling old. 40 years on the talk radio. No Starbucks, no latte. Diet Coke is how I start my day. Love the interviewing, who, what, where, and why. I started to cry, cause I remember I. I can't stand early hours. Waking up 3 a.m. So pissed when I'm in the shower Most people sleep and dreaming Driving in on I-90, yeah Ten and two with closed eyes No one sleeps at speeds better than I I need to sleep in, oh, I need to sleep in Just need to sleep in, yes, I need to sleep in, in my car when I drive Can't remember how I just arrived Bag so big On my eyes On the plane Have to check when I fly I just wanna sleep and Tell the clock goodbye I started to cry Cause I remembered my My Cochran shows in the morning it's at 5.30 a.m. Halfway through I start snoring 
Not even sure I'm breathing Just make the nine o'clock hour, yeah So I can wrap up and leave I just remembered my first name is Steve I need to sleep in, please, just let me sleep in I need to sleep in, God, I need to sleep in I need to sleep, I need to sleep in Just let me sleep, just let me sleep Half my brain is dying, the other half has died I started to cry, cause just this morning I I drove right past the station My blazer was a boat ride Several cops started chasing So lucky it was low tide The cops said, what were you thinking? Yeah, thank God you hit this sandbar I haven't slept forever I said I took a backseat nap inside my car I need to sleep in, please, just let me sleep in I think I'm tired, I'm so tired You know, every week, whether we like it or not, we take kind of an inside-out, outside-in look at politics So, here we go, back to Bedminster, New Jersey We're standing by live, here's the former President of the United States, Donald Trump Hello, sir Hello, Cochran, how are you? Aren't you pleasant, I'm doing fine I don't care. Oh, okay. But it sounds like you're probably doing a lot better than our country's doing right now. Did you hear the Fed raised interest rates again? Sure, yeah, I pay attention. The highest they've been in 22 years. 22. The, the last time interest rates were this high, you were wearing cargo shorts watching Regis Philbin <laughs> host Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Still have those shorts, sir. Uh, the last time interest rates were this high, Mike Pence was teaching vacation Bible school. Okay, I think we get the point. Ron DeSanctimonious was bonging beers with his frat brothers. Right. Chris Christie could see his feet. All right, enough already. And when did the Fed decide to raise interest rates, Cochran? Right after Hunter Biden's plea deal fell apart. I blame Hunter. Sir, totally. Sir, Hunter had nothing to do with this. He's a hot mess, but you know he had nothing to do with this. And... Any loan he got from China just got a little more expensive to pay off, thanks to the interest rates, that, that I can tell you. I know lots of people tell me the GOP's just jumping at the bit to impeach his daddy. You know, the big guy. Uh, look, there's no legitimate case for that and so at some point. having a bad week. Sleepy Joe's having a bad week. Sleepy Joe's dog Commander's having a bad oh, week. Oh, boy. Why is he biting so many Secret Service agents, Cochran? Did they put some of that White House cocaine in his food? Sir, you're hot as a firecracker, but hell? let's stick uh, to by the... By the way, Cochran, yes. you know Hunter couldn't close the plea deal due to his tax evasion? I don't think it's only due to that. As you know, nobody evades taxes better than me. <laughs> That's true. Allegedly. That's nobody. true. Uh, listen, uh, once again, I find myself strangely, oddly, and uncomfortably in agreement with you. Now, Cochran, not to change the subject, but have you seen my latest poll numbers? They're on fire. They're on fire. On fuego, as my Mar-a-Lago gardener Jorge likes to say. <laughs> okay. But these other poor schmucks running against me, I feel sorry for them, you know, in all fairness. Like poor Nikki Haley. Poor Nikki Haley. Her poll numbers are very, very low. I'm talking lower than Ron DeSanti flushes IQ. <laughs> it's not even the name you made up. Now, speaking of the governor of Florida, as you know, he got in a car accident just a few days ago. He's in Tennessee traveling to a campaign stop. Now, I say he wasn't hurt. But one female staffer was slightly injured. Yes, and I heard that DeSanctimonious slammed up against her, caused her airbags to deploy. <laughs> Mrs. DeSantis was not happy when she found out. This not seems, happy at all. This seems like an area you may know a lot about. 
What? Well. Oh, and speaking of complete disasters, I saw the new Barbie movie. Did Did you see the Barbie movie? Uh, no, and I gotta say, I don't plan to. Oh, you should go see it. Everybody has a cameo in this thing, and I mean everybody. Chris Christie's actually in the movie. The Chris Christie is yeah, in the Barbie he movie. As, he stars as the Malibu Dreamhouse. Huge <laughs> house, believe me. So we know that's not true either. Look, moving on here. We heard you added a new defense attorney to your team to fight the next indictment. And speaking of attorneys. Another political commentator said that your truth social rants where you tear into Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, you call him deranged. Right, he and is. Di- and directly related to your anxiety about your legal bills. I mean, are you scared about these ballooning legal fees you owe your attorneys? Come on. You know what? I got to be honest, Cochran. I think I actually might have been if it wasn't for the fact that I was able to develop a very Zen Buddhist way of handling all of this. Um, when did you start having anything to do with Zen? Well, let me explain. What I do is I sit quietly in the lotus position, beautiful position. (laughs) You've never been in the lotus position. And and I meditate. No, you don't. I meditate very strongly, and I repeat a very calming mantra over and over again. Well, I've got to ask, what's the mantra? Well, first I've got to get into the spirit. Hold on. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All my lawyer's letters go into a shredder. All my lawyers' letters go into a shredder. It's a very, I take deep breaths in between. It's a very new agey thing, but it really helps. I'm sure you've got boxes to move. Uh, so thanks for calling in, former President Trump. Later, loser. Thanks again to George Slatter. But one thing I forgot to mention, uh, the National Comedy Museum, the National Comedy Center is in Jamestown, New York, hometown for Lucille Ball in the uh, southern tier of New York, if you will. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's a cool little town, and it's an amazing museum. It's the Cooperstown for comedy. And uh, they are taking a theater and naming it after George Slatter, and his work will live there forever. But if you make your way there, I think you'll enjoy it. The National Comedy Center website is comedycenter.org. Um, thanks to everybody at the Big 89 WLS, and thanks to you for listening. Of course, thanks to Ross Cochran for putting this together. And we'll come back next time to another episode of Live from My Office. 30 years plus on the airwaves, you have turned your dial to me. Now you're tuned into my podcast. It's live from my office, Steve. From Ithaca, New York. To Carolina South, W. Cochran Steve. From Minneapolis and then Chicago twice, top rated shows achieved. Sit back, relax, and now listen to my show. When or wherever you are, cause you're on the go. Hey, list celebs with some laughs and great info. Live from my office, the Steve Cochran Podcast Show. It's live from my office, Steve. Thank you for listening to Live from My Office, a service of Monkey Run Productions. All rights reserved. The podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran, and it's mixed, edited, and produced by me, Ross Cochran. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to emcee your event. And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com 